Hey everyone, hello, hello. Welcome back to Tales of Recovery. This is Elise Elvis, your host, and my guest today is my friend Arezu Yanin. Did I say that right? Yes. Yes, sounds good. <laughs> um, she's a health psychologist, an educator, an author, a yoga instructor, and uh, she's wonderful, wonderful human being. You, her, um, I think you and I just connected immediately when we met, I don't know, a few months ago at a networking event, and I don't know. I was just like drawn to you and we started talking and I really, I'm really excited that you're on here to talk about what you, the work you do, um, you know, your life. I, I was, I think last time I spoke to you, I was very impressed with one of your writings that you did on your Instagram about relationships and being married to someone for so long and really normalizing that it's hard and that it's difficult mm. and that that's okay. Um, if you're both committed, right, to growing and expanding, but it was a beautiful, I might look it up here as we're talking and read it to our guests. <laughs> and also that you do an integration circle for, um, for psychedelics-based therapy or just for psychedelics integration. Mm-hmm. Um, you're also a part of the Heroic Hearts Project, right? Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. to tell us about that. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And welcome. Welcome, Arizu. Thank you, Greece. Thank you for having me. I love your podcast. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I would like to start with, I mean, kind of like how you got to my favorite part, right? We'll do my favorite part and then we'll go on. The integration <laughs> of psychedelics as a psychologist with a neuro, you know, like neuro-based science approach to it. Of course, a heart approach to it as well. But tell us about that. Yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> I uh, most of my journey with that work has been driven by my own personal interest. Um, I have always been interested in just consciousness and altered states of consciousness and um have had my own personal experiences of healing with psychedelics. Um, I am not a trained clinician, so I don't um, ever, you know, claim to be um, administering psychedelics based therapy. Although I have been following, you know, the research that's ongoing right now, a lot of the clinical trials and um, most of my professional work um, has been kind of outside of that, I should say, at least in terms of research. Um, although I am starting to get some of that work going again with um, Heroic Hearts Project, which is um, a nonprofit organization that gives veterans access to uh, psychedelic treatment. Um, which is just so powerful because a lot of the studies that we're looking at now show Um, just these profound effects for post-traumatic stress disorder, among other mental illness um, that has been so difficult to treat in other forms. And so it's really been an honor to connect with this uh, organization and to put my um, research skills to use and um, just to be an ambassador of this message that I think, um, you know, people should know, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of frustrated veterans that are not getting the care that they need and deserve. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, just not give up on their healing journey that there is maybe an alternative path for them. 
So, uh, yeah, just kind of starting to move into more professional um, work in this field, although a lot of it is informed by my personal experiences and the work of the integration circle for me was really just created from a need that I um, observed. Uh, Having sat with um, some really powerful plant medicines like um, ayahuasca and just seeing the intensity of those experiences with um, very little kind of aftercare (laughs) and follow-up, which um, I know I definitely would appreciate and also seeing others partaking in this experience with even less tools and resources um, to, to kind of help them make sense of their experiences. So I created this community based off of a need that I observed. And once I arrived, I realized that there are so many amazing healers and facilitators in this field, lots of um, pre-existing integration circles within the San Diego community. Yeah. So it's just great to join, I guess, the, um, the group that's already been ongoing and doing this work. And, um, you know, just to bring my unique piece to it, um, my perspective is very much based in science and, um, you know, research-based, um, as well as my heart-centered approach, which comes from being someone who uh, practices and facilitates yoga. So I think, um, you know, having visited some of these circles, these other circles, I'm really able to appreciate what each facilitator is bringing to um, this process and it's all needed and um, there is something available for every person who who needs this Um, so yeah that's a brief summary summary. I like that you mentioned about being embodied and because yoga um, and I feel like a lot of times I'll talk to people and they're like oh I the yoga is not for me because I'm not flexible or this or that yoga is not really for the flexible you might get flexible but the connection that the class as simple as it may be is like to, to breathe and here's your leg and breathe and notice your hand and breathe and place your right finger on top of your head. Like as an example, uh, it brings this awareness. And as the more and more you go, that's what I would describe as embodied for those listening that are like, what do you mean by embodied? And I think I just want to state that because I'm up in my head a lot thinking and there's like raising thoughts and I'm like in survival mode and I'm going and I'm going and then I'm not embodied until I breathe and I go to this yoga practice or I take a bath or I'm walking out in the sand and so for me the experience of of psychedelics my first ayahuasca experience the tip from my very experienced mentor friend love I mean she was amazing um, was Stay in your body. Stay in your body. Feel your heart. Touch your toes. Grab the ground. And I think if she hadn't said that to me, ooh, I don't know. And I also, you know, I mean, I prepared, right, meditating for years. But I, I, I think after that ceremony, that was it. Like, okay, bye. And so if I'd have been able to come back, I mean, I found a way to integrate, of course, talking to friends, talking to other people, and 
eventually down the line going to other ceremonies and actually telling them, can we have a circle before and after <laughs> and meet up in two weeks? But so how, like, how do you run? Like, if I want to go to an integration circle with you, what would happen there? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and I, I just want to kind of come back to this idea of embodiment and just say that, you know, there are more and more distractions available to us yeah. today than ever before to take us out of that um, source of processing and healing and um, really just being in our own experience. So um, I do think it sounds so simple and it's something that most of us are not doing the majority of the time. And even for yogis and and yoga teachers, you know, there are aspects of our lives that um, our practice doesn't quite reach, you know, whether that's the time that we spend on the screen or Instagram, Instagram, right? Just these conversations that we have with our friends and family where we, we are no longer embodied and we are kind of operating off of like really old narratives or <laughs> whatever it may be. Yeah. But um, yeah, so for me, um, the way that I've been organizing this integration circle is based off of um, the work of um, a person who's written on the subject of psychedelic integration from a clinical perspective. His name is Dr. Kyle Ortigo. And he suggested this um, framework of the hero's journey by Joseph Campbell. And so this is the model that we've been kind of working through every time we meet. Uh, It's of course, a different group of people who show up and some people who come to our circle actually have had zero experience with psychedelics or plant medicine, but they're curious about what it, you know, this term integration means. And so we often will broaden to just a conversation on non-ordinary states of consciousness, which can include things like those transcendental states that we experience, you know, maybe in yoga or meditation. Um, There's just many different ways that we experience um, kind of these unique moments in consciousness. And we'll move through the framework uh, bit by bit, you know, so we began with this, uh, the first step of the hero's journey, which is just the call to action. Um, And so really just kind of uh, sharing our experiences of what brought us here into the space that we're all sharing together and what brought us into this uh, work and interest in non-ordinary states of consciousness. And um, then, you know, moving into, you know, things like um, how were we initiated? What were some trials and tribulations that we've experienced Um, What are some lessons that we've learned? Um, And it really is uh, uh, this, this framework is just so beautiful because it's um, based off of a story that is repeated over and over again in um, all human storytelling from Mm -hmm. the beginning of time. So it suggests that there's something universal about what we're going through and that there is this, um, kind of collective experience of moving into deeper layers of ourselves and coming out of the other side as changed. And so that's perfect for integration, right? Because we're kind of, we do feel the intensity of the shift um, based off of whatever work that we're doing. And really it's about bringing it into 
the day-to-day to examine it, to share it, and to see how we can take this transformation and turn it into, um, you know, maybe a more sustainable shift um, in, in how we're living our lives. I like that. It's like normalizing the humanity in all of us, instead of trying to pretend that you're this little machine that has to do all these shoulds and check the boxes. No, we're normalizing the death and the layers and the messiness and the chaos of, Absolutely. of this journey of, hum- of being a human and figuring out how to fit into the skin and how to live with an open heart and then close it again and open it again and close it again. It's intense. And I think, um, and that's another thing that I, I, I'd like to ask you about is um, because I think some of us, and you in particular me, have been trying to do this work for so long. I mean, I, I honestly, I mean, I played around with psychedelics a lot in my teens and when I was 19, all the way to 25. And then I just stopped everything and went like the whole 12 steps over life for 25 years. Like, no, almost 25 until I decided, you know, there's, there's got to be something to this PTSD healing with psychedelics. And maybe I'm just brainwashed because, you know, 25 years ago in, in my NA meetings, you it was like nothing, 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 don't do anything. And so opening up myself to this new experience, for me, when I finally said, okay, I'm going to go do ayahuasca. And I got to tell you, it was years of like therapy and groups and retreats and blah, blah, blah. And I go to this experience and now I've realized, oh, I should have done this when I was 25. It would have been, it's like a quantum leap mm-hmm. because I think, and I, that's what I kind of want to ask you about. Cause when you talk about, I don't remember the exact wording you had, but the altered states of consciousness. If someone's never done psychedelics or if someone doesn't know what, and I think we all experience that just sometimes you don't know how to identify it. I always like to say, Oh, I remember, driving in the car when I was little, like those road trips, free, even any cell phones existing, <laughs> where all you could do is look out the window and just kind of roll it down a little, wind blowing in, and you're just seeing all the trees going, and not think about anything. Mm. Um, I just remembered, I don't know, that's why I love road trips. For me, that's kind of an altered state of consciousness because you're just, you know, mm-hmm. contemplating and, and so the default mode that you talked about last time we spoke mm. is not really on. Can you dive a little bit into that like, so we can understand? Yeah, sure, of course. What's happening in the brain when this is going on? Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, I think there are these moments that are not just um, coming from psychedelics, but from many possible experiences that take us out of this routine way of processing and being in the world. And so some of the most impressive um, effects of psychedelics, which we also see in the research from meditation, is moving out of this type of um, processing in the brain that is usually happening all the time in the background of all that we do, uh, which is known as the default mode network. And these are some uh, areas in the brain that kind of um, help us to analyze, you know, ourselves in relationship to the world, 
particularly threats related to ourselves. So it's very kind of human survival based Mm -hmm. and almost taking on a tone of narcissism or, you know, just very ego driven. So self referential thoughts, autobiographical memories, um, analyzing threats, not only on a physical level, but also social and emotional threats. And this is something that also planning and executive functioning. So, you know, this is something that we're, we're doing all of the time in the background of our lives without even realizing it. The brain is kind of in this overdrive of analyzing and creating stories about ourselves and solidifying old stories about ourselves. So what happens in our experience of psychedelics is that this area gets much more quiet and we're finally able to get a break from this kind of egoic narrative and just to be able to experience life uh, with a little bit of what Thich Nhat Hanh calls freshness, you know, just Mm -hmm. this um, like almost like I've never been here before. Maybe I'm listening to a song I've heard 20,000 times and suddenly I I can feel it in a different way. Um, There's often also the experience of synesthesia. So our senses overlapping. So maybe in addition to listening to a song, I can actually feel the song in my body or I can taste the song and, you know, and so it's really interesting just to see the brain shift and approach even just the familiar parts of our lives with a newness, a new perspective. And I think that's what's so powerful is to help us get out of these routine patterns that sometimes harm us or stand in the way of our growth. And, you know, as, as wonderful as talk therapy is, it's a great resource, source of healing for many. It's still um, easy for us to be, be too clever, you know, to have that ego kind of um, just kind of thwart the progress in some way, because it is scary to move into these depths of ourselves and so it's nice to have that, <laughs> that um, defensive layer kind of mm-hmm. removed for just a moment so that we're able to see ourselves mm-hmm. in a new way. Yeah, that openness mm-hmm. is kind of what it is. I mean, it's, um, it's so interesting how that default mode network is so controlling. I mean, it's an intelligent response, but when it gets in the way and I, and I've, I found that like the first couple of times that I went in, in consciousness and t- to do a specific intention, healing and psychedelics, that the first thing you lose is control. Oh my God, you know? And then after a little bit, you don't even, uh, for me, I don't even want that control. It's like, it's so much better to be in the body. Like, that's why I believe I'm a firm believer. And I know for me, that healing comes in the body, not in the mind. Mm. The mind just wants to figure it out and control it. And, but the body is where it's like, oh, I feel my heart opening. And I used to think it was so woo, but now I'm like, no, no, no. I've been doing this for many years now. I can sense it now. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's where the word makes sense from. Oh, that makes sense because I can feel it in my senses in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... How, 
Um, and, I, and I'm asking this question because I remember it was really interesting last time you spoke, which kind of ties into what you just said about these pathways in the brain, like these little roads that are in the brain that are created. Maybe they're default mode or maybe they're also like from different situations that we've had in our lives that are not default for everyone. But how does meditation or psychedelics, because yeah, you're listening, you don't have to go to psychedelics if you don't want to, even though I do recommend it, instead of setting in with responsible cool people because mm-hmm. there's a lot of crazies out there just giving this stuff out. But how does that work? Um, like if somebody asks you, okay, well, Dr. Ghani, how am I going to not go back to that mm-hmm. survival mode? Like, I want to ask you that. <laughs> like, going back sometimes, I'm like, dang it, I thought I was over that. <laughs> well, this is where we could just come back to the human conundrum. You know, we mm-hmm. are these physiological beings. We're animal in this animal body. Mm-hmm. And as I think limitless, Uh, the potential of our consciousness may be, there is still this physical reality that we are bound to. And so, you know, a lot of the wiring that we have built in brings us back into that survival mode all of the time. And our culture, our society is also triggering these alarm systems all of the time, sometimes intentionally and sometimes not. So whether that's, you know, the blinking lights of our, of our notifications on our phone or uh, the rush of adrenaline that we experience when we're sitting in traffic or for many of us, this feeling of evaluation that comes from our professional lives and even, you know, being in a family system where we're driven on a very primal level to care for our offspring and our family. This is evolutionary. So I think it's, it's a futile for me (laughs) pursuit to try to just ever get away from that survival. I think for me, it makes more sense to understand that it's always there. And that even though a lot of times it manifests in these ways that are dysfunctional, essentially, that these are intelligent responses of our bodies and our nervous systems. And it's easier to befriend what's happening. It's easier to recognize when we're being triggered and when our body has moved into fight, flight, freeze, fawn, these kind of trauma responses, and to be gentle with ourselves as we make our way back out. There are these opportunities to, um, I think, take a break from it, whether that's meditation or whatever your practice may be. Um, and that's, that really just hints to the possibility that there is something more than just that survival orientation. But I, I would never assume that there is a magical way to bypass that. Mm-hmm. Um, because we are very much embodied beings. And so I give thanks for my, my um, ability to respond to threat and to trauma. I give yeah. thanks for that adaptation that's allowed me to survive. And I really try to work with, I think a, a really powerful tool is just discernment 
of really understanding when am I actually in danger? When am I safe? How can I create the context of safety for myself in my world, in my life? How, what can I eliminate that unnecessarily triggers me in such a way that I'm constantly in this reactivity mode? <laughs> That's very, very helpful. <laughs> yeah. What can I get rid of? I have a few people I can mention. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it could be people. It could be habits. You know, I think a lot of us, like we're, I, myself included, I love caffeine, but when we really look at it, you know, what is the effect of this caffeine in my body, especially when I have it every day and my tolerance builds. Yeah. And I find myself just with this feeling of, being overly energized for a really kind of simple day ahead where I don't need that. I'm not running a marathon. I'm, you know, I'm sitting in front of my computer. So really is this serving me in this time? And I think a lot of us just, again, slip into these old patterns and grooves and just operate business as usual without examining what are the dynamics of my life that I could kind of clarify so that I could feel the way I want to feel in my body, in my day-to-day. Yeah, I like that word, discernment. Discernment. Is this true? Is this, can I, is this helpful? What can I do different? Yeah, that's, I might have to tattoo that right here on my thumb <laughs> to remember. Yeah, and <clears throat> I think that that is the beauty of, of the mind, potentially, right? And I think a lot of the, a tool for discernment is also coming deeply from how you feel in your body, because your body is not going to lie. Your body is going to tell you, this makes me feel nervous for whatever reason. You may not understand why, but your body's going to give you that feedback. But I also think it is a matter of contemplation of really bringing these questions to ourselves, to the circles that we attend or the practices that we have. And to look at them and reflect. And that's our ability, I think, to rewrite, um, you know, the story of our lives, of just um, approaching things in a new way that's not, again, based off of this habit or survival mode (laughs) that we've all been programmed with. Yeah. Or even a specific role that you thought you had to be growing up and now it's like oh I don't have to do that anymore mm-hmm. like, oh, that story because this doesn't feel good yeah um okay this was very helpful thank you <laughs> I want to ask you about psychedelics and culture so like what does your family think about you doing this how did this come in you know um what's your background on it <laughs> Oh, great question. My family mostly is unaware. I, um, <laughs> that was mine. No, just... um, you know, I, I think that there is still very much a programming from, as we talked about last time, the war on drugs, um, especially for our, my generation growing up with this kind of dare campaign mentality where it's like abstinence of everything. Always there is no benefit to any of these substances and really just 
stigmatizing and miscategorizing a lot of this um, relationship that we could potentially have with plants and mm-hmm. with other chemicals um, as inherently bad. And so I know that my family is immediately kind of in that camp. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it's impossible for us to ever reach an understanding or for their idea of this to expand, but I think it's still really new for people. And I think a lot of what you mentioned about why you choose this work, which is the freedom of giving up control, the freedom of experiencing something new that you've never had before is actually quite terrifying for most people. (laughs) There's a lot of fear of moving into that, of letting go of control, of maybe seeing a part of ourselves that we don't find beautiful um, or that we haven't made peace with yet. And so there's a lot of resistance. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also think prior to just a few years ago, as an academic, if you were to speak publicly about this work, you would pretty much be shamed. And so for that reason, there's this kind of, um, again, misrepresentation of what is this community really all about? Because we have this stereotype of maybe like a deadhead or, (laughs) you know, a hippie or, or an addict, you know, all these kind of schemas that we create around this term. Um, And so I think it's really slow, slowly emerging for me, claiming my identity as someone who um, explores consciousness in this way as as an advocate of um, plant medicine and uh, alternative modes of healing. And I've gotten a lot of courage from people before me who have been brave enough to speak out and to share their experiences and for us to really look back and say, okay, this is, you know, an established professor, or this is a wise teacher and they partake in this um, community. And so there's less shame and more diversity in the representation of, of what this community is all about. And for me, it's never been, Fortunately, I was very fortunate that it's never really been a recreational um, experience. Granted, there's parts that are always pleasurable, right? And this is part of the medicine, I think. We don't have to be afraid of the pleasure and the joy and the laughter. But for me, there's always an intention and a curiosity. And I think I've always known how powerful these substances are. So I've never... Um, had them in a casual setting. It's always been in a setting that's very controlled and very safe and guided by a deep question that I have. And as I've gained more experience, I've had more and more skills and structure for how to have that journey in a meaningful way. Um, So that's been, (laughs) this is definitely a work in progress. We'll see how it goes as I uh, continue to, as the world continues to evolve. Yeah, but that's great to hear because, you know, even I, as I'm thinking, so I work, you know, still work many, many years with the federal government, with defense attorneys, right? So I'm very familiar with this war on drugs bullshit that is really just business and um, the jails are over 
overwhelmingly packed with people that if they could just go to, you know, the heroic hearts project um, and have a different type of therapy instead of just being locked up. So um, the negative effect of this dare thing of stay always away from, you know, quote unquote drugs versus I love what you said about our relationship with plants and exploring consciousness. Cause that's what it really is. It's a relationship. I didn't really realize um, that they, that they're alive. I mean, when I was little, I would talk to the trees and talk to the flowers and then you kind of get a little bit older and, you know, here come the messages of like, stop talking to the trees or they're going to, you know, they're going to think you're weird. And now I remember my first, I planned the whole ceremony that I went to specifically to work with my mom. My mom was very, very sick. She was going to die. And I wanted to go heal my heart. I didn't want to be angry with her before she passed. I wanted to understand and I wanted to have compassion. And about a month before the ceremony, I was already planning for it, you know, not eating any meat, doing deep meditations, planning. And I think two or three times prior to me showing up, I felt like I was on my list. Before I even, I just felt weird. I'm like, what's going on? A friend of mine would say, well, you know, it's, it's the grandmother. She's already calling you in. She's starting, like, what are you talking about? Don't give me this woo-woo thing. But also, that was just my default mode network going on. <laughs> Trying to say, no, control, that's ridiculous. And now I understand that as part of, also part of the colonization mind. You know, like, mm. that's, that's silly. That's from the natives. We're not that. I'm like, why not? I want to be neither. I don't want to be, you know, disconnected Victorian religious person, not connected to that birthright of pleasure, like you said. Mm-hmm. So now that relationship, I understand it, in a, in, and I think it's a beautiful way that you mentioned it. It's a relationship with plants and exploring consciousness. Um, and even now, my my brain was also, because I feel like the brains are like computers, right? So whatever you're downloading, the software. <laughs> and for many years, downloading at an NA, because unlike you, lucky person, I did use them recreationally in my teens. Um, quite a lot, I think. LSD and, um, well, mostly LSD, a couple of plants. But I, I think my brain programming was don't ever do anything don't ever do anything don't ever do anything you know and now i realize the the harm of that i mean there's a good part of mm. if you really have an issue to really come and get clean you know the 12-step meetings are wonderful support and very helpful to start you know realizing that you can live in a different way mm. but but now i understand like no these are, this is a beautiful relationship I have with these plants with mushrooms. I mean, I, they're so helpful. And my mind can still go in there and be like, which is my next question. <laughs> I want to ask you, what is your, like, what are your thoughts on the microdosing um, to kind of keep those pathways open and that reconnection to the brain beyond the default mode mm-hmm. going? Yeah. You know? I, I'll just say that one book that I recommend for every human in this world today is um, Robin Wall Kimmerer's Braiding Sweetgrass. 
(laughs) It is everywhere and there's good reason for it um, because it really is life changing. Um, You know, she is a scientist and also an indigenous woman. And she's really done a lot of work to uncover and reclaim her indigenous roots, her language, um, learning, you know, the ways of the Potawatomi people, um, you know, after the fact, after being an adult and really having to seek out these sources that are not easy to find, but she bridges these two perspectives, which as scientists and in the West, we really find value in understanding something completely and identifying and categorizing something and so this is a lot of the way I think that we treat substances in the world and um, especially when it comes to mental health you know we think about these pills that we want to create that will somehow magically relieve our symptoms and (laughs) and it's like it's very it's very much an extraction you know Mm -hmm. and whereas these medicines are not so easy to control in this way. You mm-hmm. can't just simply extract the part that takes away your post-traumatic stress disorder. You must first enter into this messy, uncharted territory of, say, ayahuasca or mushrooms or whatever yeah. sacred medicines you're working with. And I think once you have these experiences a few times, you start to get to know kind of the spirit or the character of these medicines and that they are living, intelligent plants (laughs) that are here with teachings for us. If we're only able to come down off of our human centric perspective and just to see that there is intelligence beyond us in different ways and different languages, so I think that perspective, um, just my, my own experiences and then Robin Wall Kimmerer putting it into such articulate words helps me to understand why this term relationship is important when it comes to this. And like you said, it is a process. It happens at the moment that you become interested, you yeah. start to feel yourself changing. It's already working in you if you allow it, if you allow yourself to see it. And it continues far beyond the the yeah. one day or one evening. That's where the integration comes in handy. It's a matter of keeping ourselves open to listening to, okay, you know, how did this experience, this exchange that I had with the mushroom medicine or, you know, grandmother Aya, how is this still playing out for me in my current reality um what can i do to keep it alive to keep these teachings fresh and um it it requires our reciprocal participation it's not just you sit back and we receive it but we are giving back we are engaging (laughs) and honoring the experiences that we had yeah for sure Um, (laughs) go ahead i was gonna say i forgot your your question Oh, microdosing. Okay. Microdosing. I forgot <laughs> it too, but. <laughs> so it's interesting. I'll say as a scientist, I don't, we don't have enough information. There's been a few clinical trials that have come out recently that show 
pretty minimal in terms of um, like the the scientific effects. They're not really um, measurable large of an effect. So um, we're not seeing that microdosing is, or at least we haven't been able to measure yet quite the, the, the substantial effects of microdosing. That said, I don't, I've never experienced microdosing myself. I know many who do and who, who uh, anecdotally report positive changes. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm not sure if we have figured out the right tool or way to measure um, what's going on there. Uh, but I think it's, it's a good option for people to at least themselves familiar with what's happening um, with, you know, how, how to interact with these um, medicines. And um, I think I I do recommend if someone has the resources available, meaning um, they're not just jumping into this work with zero preparation or guidance, but I I do recommend, um, you know, larger um, doses especially in combination with other forms of healing, whether that's therapy or coaching or other guidance, um, just because that's really where the, the research has been very impressive mm-hmm. so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah. I think it is, I think for me, again, the, the, the power of what we're doing is intentionally letting go of control, yeah. which is scary. And microdosing affords us the ability to like, have a little bit of our normal day-to-day lives, go to work. You know, there's a lot of CEOs in the, in the tech industry that microdose and that's their form of, you know, helping to get more creative or whatever it is that they're using um, the microdosing for, which is all good and well, but I think it's also important to allow ourselves to just take a, a break <laughs> from the reality that we know and um, come into a new perspective. Yeah, it's intensely beautiful mm. when you do a deep dive. And I mean, it's, I mean, one of the biggest experiences that I have in integration um, from this is I did a deep, deep, deep dive. I'm not sure if I told you about it. Um, I don't know. I don't know how long ago it was, but it was after COVID, right? Because after COVID, I was about to just throw in the towel with my marriage. I'm like, I'm done with it. I think like 50 million <laughs> other people had to stay at home for a whole year and realize all they were running away from or busy, not focusing on, or some of these default mode operation, rejection, hard um, armoring at the heart and like mm-hmm. running around repeating the same whatever family modes or family systems that you kind of marry into because that's what you had at home and blah, blah, blah. And I had this beautiful deep dive because I was like, I need to know what I'm doing. And I think it was a four hour journey of just crying and crying and love and opening up my heart, opening up my heart. It was so powerful that I saw everything in, for me, in the system that was wrong uh, patriarchy wise, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you have to get a divorce, or you have to get married, you have to go, and now the person owns you. And there's all these courts and in getting involved, and it's not even like just like an honoring thing between you and your partner in the community. And there's so much violence in it. 
And I just saw how crazy that was and it broke my heart. I saw my family. Anyway, long story short, my husband did a journey too. And what would happen is I shed all of these ideas, these stories, among also talking about, this is what I want. This is what I don't want. Can we not have this? I'm the man, you're the woman thing. Can we just be equals and both dive into our own consciousness and expanding the growth of our heart and maturity and responsibility, and then come back and share that versus these roles. And like two or three months later, after this brilliant assistance from my relationship with the mushrooms, when I go back to like, oh my God, we're here again, blah, blah, blah. It's like, wait, 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 wait. And I take myself back and feel like, I don't know, 10 deep breaths, or maybe sometimes it has to be 50, or maybe just one. And I really remember. Like the default mode goes off, and I remember what the plants taught, which is like, oh, it's all open heart, love, beautiful boundaries. But remember, like sometimes this default mode is controlling. It's only getting in the way of this beautiful experience that we can have to connect and to speak my voice freely and gently. And then to also be open to receive. And so, yeah, I'm just, I, you know, I can't even imagine. I mean, I can. What, somebody coming back from war and having to have killed people who you didn't really want to has to come back and live with. You know, are you familiar with uh, Martin Pretzel? Martin Pretzel, I think is his name. No. I might be mispronouncing, but he's an anthropologist who writes a lot about grief. And he talks a little bit about what happens when you come back from a war. Mm. And the country, whoever won, is like, okay, yeah, you're back here. Go back to work. Um, and there's so much inside of you that you that you can't even, not, not even just the person. He talks about the ghost of the person that you had to kill or persons. But then also what died inside of you as a human, because maybe you didn't really want to kill, but here you were. And so all of this trauma, this, this grief, this intensity of taking life, that you can have a, somebody like Heroic Cards Project to help you with, I mean, I'm just exploding right now with the power of these beautiful plant medicines. Mm. And the way culture has blocked them away from us. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of potential, a lot of potential. And I'm just so glad that we're finally at a place sociologically and academically, um, and in our medical system where we're starting to entertain these possibilities again. It's still tricky territory it's not fully condoned it's not fully legal it's not accessible to everyone um but there is so much potential and we really need it you know i have worked in mental health um i remember as an undergraduate having an experience working in a psychiatric facility and just realizing that a lot of our definitions of mental illness a lot of the ideology or the understanding of what is causing mental illness um, and and the treatment is really incomplete and really archaic. (laughs) We haven't innovated much um, since the seventies, really. We have a lot of the same chemical compounds that we're issuing and just the main purpose of our 
pharmaceuticals is to address the symptoms and to suppress these kind of inconvenient symptoms that arise with mental illness, as opposed to, I think the approach of psychedelics is more of understanding and exploration and getting to the root of what is causing this fracturing in ourselves. So I am excited and hopeful that we'll continue to move forward. Of course, there's going to be opposition. Of course, there's going to be, you know, political opposition and, and moral opposition. Um, but I think as more and more people speak out and share their experiences, it's hard to deny that these are very healing chemicals or they can be if, if administered in the correct way. And just to see the effects, you know, I'm sure your family and my family, our coworkers have seen changes in us that are not necessarily easy to articulate, Mm -hmm. but it is an expansion. It is an overall opening of our hearts and our minds and the ability to stay present in our bodies, especially in those relationships where the longer we're with someone, the more we can kind of slip into these ideas of who we think they are, you know, these mm-hmm. outdated models. I remember last time we spoke, you you were saying that you have been married for 26 years. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. I mean, <laughs> that for sure you have uh, evolved so much in that time. And um, Dr. Gabor Mate actually said something really beautiful. He said, um, I've been married six times to the same woman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, I think that's what a marriage or a partnership or a family really is. It is almost like just these several different chapters that we go through together And the trick is to continue to stay present, to continue to be aware that the person in front of you right now is not the person who you knew when you first met them and nor are you. (laughs) So um, I think this is one tool, um, one method to help us continue to stay open to seeing each other as we really are in the moment and to get out of those old patterns and habits you know, it's, you can kind of get to a point sometimes where you can almost fill in the blank of what you think they're going to say. <laughs> and that's dangerous. Been... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is dangerous. How long have you been married? Uh, we're moving into year 10 of and being 10. together, um, which year is 10. monumental for both of us because we've gone through our share of trials and tribulations and also um, coming, we both came from previous marriages. Mm. So it feels like a victory <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean it is a victory yeah for sure and it's and you know sometimes you just have to leave I get it sometimes it's just there's no other way or there's violence or mm. sometimes leaving is the correct thing to do for sure but I do think that I've grown the most because of Julio mm. because that's where I'm like hey I gotta do this work let's do this work it's like the biggest um, mirror in the relationship and um yeah it's just um that's very psychedelic because <laughs> i was just thinking you're about to have your baby right you're about to get yes. back here in like the next five weeks <laughs> yeah now that if anything 
<laughs> biggest psychedelic experience and so powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the experience for me of having been able to move into surrender, it, 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 it gives me confidence oh, yeah. for birth and for life mm-hmm. in general. And even for these moments that we know are going to happen to us that are profoundly non-ordinary and transcendental like death, you know, Mm. Um, we know that we're subject to these really tremendous shifts spiritually and emotionally, energetically. And I think the more we can practice surrender, whether Mm. that comes from meditation, just continuing to drop the thoughts that come just continuing to breathe and be present and constantly bring your monkey mind back (laughs) Um, or, or psychedelics where you're kind of at times overtaken by something that's so much bigger than you. It's just good practice for life. It's just good practice for letting go of that kind of very human tendency to want to control everything that's happening. And we know COVID was a big teacher for us that we definitely have times where we can't control what's going on. We definitely have times that we need to just let go of the way we thought life was going to look for us and surrender. Yeah, that was a big, big, big lesson. Yeah. The COVID thing. There's no toilet paper. Why the hell? Is <laughs> Clean all your groceries before you bring. I mean, I remember doing the first two, three months were like. Yeah. But yeah, that's certainly, I mean, they're all like mini deaths. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have one of the um, teachers I work with is what he calls uh, the journeys, psychedelic mushrooms. There's like a little, it's a mini death. Mm-hmm. And then you're reborn and you're practicing dying because, well, we're all going to die. It's not, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's the big one, the unavoidable one. But um, yeah, I like, um, I really have enjoyed everything that you've said. Thank you. Thank you, Grace. Thank you for this space. Oh, yeah. Thank you for your work. Come back. Come back, and and we'll keep sharing with this new experience of giving birth. I think it's one of the most beautiful, powerful ways. And if anything will teach you surrender besides ayahuasca is having a child. (laughs) (laughs) You're not controlling anything. It's just, wow. it's, I remember reading a book before I had my baby. So I was like, I want to be natural and I want to first feed her right away and everybody naked and the baby right up on my chest. And I remember reading this book about comparing like what mammals do, which is they kind of like scurry and find their way over to the mama's breast, whether even the mom is bringing them to it or not, right? And I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's probably what an, like animals, do. I mean, I know we're animals, but like, Maybe that's what a kangaroo does or the rabbit or a bear. And I remember this. I don't know why this is coming up, but I was laying in my bed and my daughter must have been, I don't even think, maybe like a week and a few days old because I had to stay in the hospital for a week after I had her. She was pretty big. She was like a nine and a half pound baby. And when I was home, I was, I remember laying down exhausted, um, which is okay. 
you know, you're tired, you're given birth, you're supposed to be tired. Anybody mm-hmm. after who thinks you're not supposed to be tired after you have baby, yes, you are. <laughs> you're going to be tired for a long time. And it's, I always thought of it as a really beautiful, sweet, savory tired. <laughs> it really was like, oh, this is tired, but you're tired. Oh, <laughs> like, uh, you know, like after a long night of mushrooms, you're like, oh, I'm tired, but it was so good. <laughs> and I was looking at her and she literally started to wiggle and wiggle and wiggle until oh. she got to my breast. <laughs> I was laying there going like, what is this? I mean, I read the book, but I thought it was like, yeah, whatever. I'm gonna... No, she literally, this little baby, it took her a while, but she moved and moved and moved until she wiggled all the way I mean I remember just crying like going we're so magical we know exactly what we're supposed to do we have this voice this intuition this intelligence inside of us you don't listen to it I'm mm. about to cry right now because I just Aww. remember like, gosh what a gift I think I just for like the first five months I just stared at her <laughs> the whole time (laughs) and cried a lot (laughs) but it's so beautiful I so um, congratulate you and your blessings and light and presence and Mm -hmm. everything for this the biggest the biggest journey (laughs) (laughs) it really is like the ultimate human journey and I think one of my favorite parts of this is just hearing everyone's stories like people who some of them are my friends some of them I don't know and they honestly share so much and it makes me realize that the people who've gone through this initiation you know there's so much power there that we uh, we don't always talk about we don't have a space to talk about right Mm -hmm. this is kind of like grief like you go through something that's so big and transformational or, or, you know, psychedelic uh, experience. And then what do you do with that? Like, how do we really honor that? We don't really have the spaces to share these stories that are just, I mean, even just hearing other people's stories, I'm moved, I'm changed. So it's so beautiful. I love hearing that. And thank you for sharing it. Oh my gosh. It, it helps because, you know, there's a lot of like uncertainty and insecurity about all of that. You know, will, yeah. will this be natural? Will this happen for us? And just, we don't know, but it's good to just trust that there's so much that's naturally unfolding as mm-hmm. we enter into these new roles. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. I'm excited to see you on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> Tired. I can see you before. I'll try to go to your class. These your last class of yoga before the baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Thank you. Arezu. I'll put on the link here your Instagram and also the Heroic Cards Project and your webpage and whatever for people to reach out to you. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing you'll be taking some time off, but yes yeah I'm feeling a little break from social coming on pretty soon but um definitely will be available another like you said my newsletter is a great way to stay connected oh yes I just signed up for your monthly love letter I love that you call that (laughs) love letter I put a lot of love into it that's why (laughs) I receive it oh likewise (laughs) thank you thank you and thank you everyone for listening to tales of recovery Please 
share it and send me your feedback and have a blessed, blessed day.